0: any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship,
1: support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Oh hello 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 what's up everybody and I hope you enjoyed my little opening there. I promise you it will sound better hopefully by the next time I do this um, ran into a little technical difficulties this week uh, that's why I didn't put another one out earlier this week. I was moving and I'm still waiting on Comcast to come hook my Wi-Fi up that they should have done on uh, Tuesday. So I'm having issues with my tablet and trying to do this right. So I'm, I'm doing it the most ghetto way I know possible. It probably sounds like shit, but I promise it will get better. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about Mr. Fred Lee Chrisman. And we're going to get into some taboo topics of the JFK assassination, including UFOs and Marilyn Monroe. And maybe some other things, depends on if we got enough time or not. Um, The one thing that is a taboo subject in the groups and forums is, of course, the UFO aspect of all this. And I'm not saying it's aliens, (laughs) and I'm not saying, you know... Anything that aliens were responsible for the assassination because they weren't um, I just I'm just going to discuss it because it ties in with with Fred Chrisman and some your more, more obscure things you may not have heard about um, so let's dive right in here because we got a lot of ground to cover uh, mr. Fred Chrisman uh, the reason that I set my sights on him for this week is because we were introduced to him, of course, with the Garrison investigation. Uh, Garrison thought he was involved, somehow. And, of course, uh, Thomas Beckham implicates him in his HSCA testimony as being the head of this nefarious organization known as The Organization. (laughs) Pretty ominous name there, huh? But he basically asserts that he was his handler, uh, Beckham's that is. And uh he pretty much told Beckham not to tell Garrison anything. He uh and which he did, you know, he didn't tell Garrison anything. He denied, 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 denied. And I believe Christman even talked to Garrison as well in the for his grand jury testimony, and I don't believe he told Garrison anything either. And an interesting fact is that the first person that Clay Shaw called after he was arrested was Fred Chrisman. And the first person, after he found out that the heat was coming down on him and that uh, Garrison was, was on his trail that he wanted to track down and talk to, was Fred Chrisman. Now, why is that, you might say? Well... Thomas Beckham tells this story that they were in uh, New Orleans in the offices of G. Ray Gill, who, of course, we know is Carlos Marcello's lawyer and who David Ferry worked for. And this is, of course, in the same building, uh, the uh, Paramarquette building, that uh, Jim Braden had an office in. We talk about that in another podcast but uh, yeah, so Beckham tells of of Clay Shaw, David Ferry, G. Ray Gill, Vincent Marcello—not Carlos, Vincent—and uh, having this little meeting there, getting this packet together, and they were paid. They paid him two hundred dollars to take this envelope to Dallas two weeks before the assassination to Lawrence Howard, who was staying at the Executive Inn in Dallas. And he said when he got it there. Howard was pissed because something was missing or something wasn't right. And he said that the envelope contained pictures, diagrams, um, drawings, you know, from like high, high buildings and trajectories and angles. And, of course, looking back, he probably thinks it was had something to do with the assassination, which I'm sure it did. And, you know, he tells of of course, leaving um, New Orleans, and I think he settled in Kansas, and, and Chrisman was helping him move, you know between there, maybe Idaho, Nebraska, throughout the Midwest, you know, just to kind of get away from things for a while. You know, from his early travels, we know Chrisman came to New Orleans numerous times before the assassination. Um, His official... His official cover, I guess you would call it, uh, was something... Because he was in the armed forces. Now, Chrisman was in the military during World War II and probably met a young fellow by the name of Clay Shaw who was in the military at that time as well they were both stationed in Germany and as we know Werner von Braun surrendered to Clay Shaw and if if you believe everything that you see and hear and read the nazis were developing UFOs, Uh, they were they were actively developing some say they even had them developed um, at the time of World War II and if you follow the pattern of these Nazi UFOs like the Bell and the traditional disk-shaped UFOs uh, The main majority of the sightings started after the end of World War II. Now, you could claim that, of course, we we uh, enveloped all these Nazi scientists into into our system and had them start working for us. So naturally, we would have uh, gotten our hands on anything they they would have already developed and anything that they were developing. And as we know, of course, Roswell happened in uh, 1947. That's the famous UFO crash, right? Well, a couple days before Roswell occurred, uh, Fred Christman, who had gotten out of the military, by this time was supposedly working up in um, Washington state uh, trolling a harbor up there with a buddy named Harold Dahl and they were retrieving uh, loose logs from the uh, logging industry and it was basically like they were basically scavengers Uh, but you know they could still make money doing this by scavenging this loose lumber these big companies maybe might have lost a log or two here or there in the in the harbor, and these guys would come along and claim it, clean it up, drag it out, and sell it uh, for for lumber. And they claimed him and Harold Dahl, claimed that uh, these UFOs were flying low over the Sound, and one of them it looked like one of them was in trouble, and uh, it. It let loose some slag and paper-like material onto the deck of their ship. And Dahl claimed that it killed his dog, you know, this stuff falling from this UFO, and injured his son in the process. And Harold Dahl, the next day, received a visit from what we now call Man in Black, who couldn't have possibly known about the incident yet. And this is the genesis of the infamous Man in Black scenario. And of course, the government found out about it. They sent two guys out to retrieve this slag and take reports from Chrisman and Dahl about this stuff. And so they obtain the slag. <clears throat> and on their way back, their plane crashes and they die and the stuffs never recovered and then of course we have the Kenneth Arnold sighting the next day uh, in Washington State of course again and he sees UFOs as well and this is we first get the term flying saucer I I believe he coined that and people have been calling them flying saucers ever since and and then of course a couple days later we have Roswell the supposed UFO crash. Now, where Marilyn Monroe comes into this, okay, I mean, it's pretty pretty well known that JFK and Marilyn were, you know, having uh, relations off and on for a couple of years, and there's something called the Marilyn UFO Document, and I'll post all this relative stuff up on Facebook. About it, and it basically was a report from a private investigator who had been hired by I can't remember if it was the CIA or the FBI to bug her home, and it basically it said that that uh, she had told a friend of hers on the phone that that JFK had toured a secret military installation and witnessed firsthand uh, crashed UFOs and dead alien bodies. And it was, of course, the events surrounding her death are mysterious as well. Because we have, now the same guy that that was doing the uh, wiretapping on her house, also, managed to capture, now this is all according to him, a conversation between Marilyn and Robert Kennedy, who was at her house earlier the day that she died with Peter Lawford. Where, you know, he, Bobby was trying to do his brother a favor and try to get Marilyn, you know, from, because she was getting to the point where she was like frantic because JFK started ignoring her you know, he wouldn't return her calls. He wouldn't take her calls. He wasn't seeing her anymore. And, uh, she was kind of in love with the fact that, that, uh, JFK would leave Jackie and she would be the first lady. And, and, uh, you know, who knows if she really loved him or not? It's, you know, it's hard to say, but apparently when Bobby and Peter Lawford went to see her that day, she lost it because Bobby told her, look, Jack wants nothing to do with you. You're cut off. You know, don't, don't call him anymore. It's over. It's done. It's, you know, nothing is ever going to be the same. And that she went hysterical, pulled a knife and tried to, try to kill him. And Peter Lawford had to pull her off of him. And, uh, she, she threatened to ex- expose all these secrets that Jack told her. And, uh, said so she'd been keeping them all in a, in a little red, red diary. And, uh. And all this crazy stuff which which kind of comes up missing later later that night. and uh, then we know that Bobby and Peter Lawford were in the area. Um, they were pulled over for speeding later on that night, about midnight. Marilyn died about 10:15 that evening. But her body you know she wasn't reported as something being wrong until like four in the morning because her psychiatrist had come over. Her, uh, her maid had, had found her and they, they moved her from the, from the guest house to the to her main bedroom and locked the doors from the, you know, it's just a crazy scenario. <clears throat> and if you want to know more about how Marilyn died and, you know, you feel free to Google it, but this is what this private detective was asserting, you know, that she was going to spill the beans. She was going to hold a press conference and, and tell the world all this stuff because she was so distraught. Now, we have another document from probably about two weeks before the assassination where JFK was requesting all information on unidentified flying objects from the CIA. Anything they had, he wanted it. Um, and whether you believe, that, you know, if there's aliens or if it was actually Nazi technology that, that we had adopted, and, I mean, you can't discount the hundreds of thousands of sightings of these things throughout the years, you know, since Roswell happened, you know. Now, whether it's our technology or alien technology or... If one just happened to land and we reverse engineered it to the point where we could, you know, we went far above and beyond our own means in recreating this thing, then, uh, you know, that that's a possibility too. Um, but getting back to Fred Christman for a minute, it's odd that while he was in Washington State, Uh, Clay Shaw was stationed in Washington State. Guy Bannister was in the FBI and stationed in Washington State. And Jim Garrison was working for the FBI and in Washington State. Okay, and it just seems really, really odd to me that, that these four guys, who obviously knew each other, would all be stationed, and of course they would all have a date with destiny and a date with fate many years later, you know, 20 years later, and uh, they were all stationed in Washington State at the same time, at about the time that, you know, these UFO sightings were going on. Uh, You might say Garrison, yeah, Garrison worked for the FBI as an investigator for the FBI um, before he became a lawyer. And eventually, a judge. And so that so the Maury Island sightings happened while uh, Fred Christman was on after he he gotten out of the uh, the service, and then a couple years later he reenlists in the service, and it gets out again like in the early 60s and becomes a substitute teacher, okay, which is very, very part-time work, which leaves him a lot of free time. He was traveling a lot, and his alibi, of course, for the Kennedy assassination was that he was substitute teaching in Washington State that day, and he had a form or a, uh, a document to prove it. Which we all know can be faked, and if the organization was an element, you know, within uh, military intelligence or the CIA or a combination of both, something that he might have been running, uh, it's kind of odd. Now we also have reports. And I think they were brought up in the Torah, Torah document that uh, Chrisman was one of the tramps. Now, I've gone over the tramps before in this podcast, and I don't believe that Fred Chrisman was one of the tramps that was photographed that day. But that's not to say that he wasn't part of the other ones that weren't. Okay? Because we have... Uh, not only the the three famous tramps we have pictures of in Dealey Plaza, there was also other ones that were not photographed and were let go pretty much as soon as they were brought into the station. And Fred Christman was alleged to have been one of these people. Now, whether he was or not, I don't know. Um... Now, also, as we know from, I talked about in the past podcast that Fred Christman was instrumental in getting these fake bishops set up in New Orleans with these fake churches. Um, And Thomas Beckham even talks about that as well in his HSCA testimony. And something interesting that I ran across was that there was a church right at the end of the alleyway beside where uh, JD Tippett was murdered. It was called the Abundant Life Church and it was a four-story building and whoever killed Tippett ran down the alley there, took off their jacket, and threw it under a vehicle close by this Abundant Life Church. Now we have reports of somebody going in the church it could have been like a temporary hideout for whoever shot Tippett um, but it that seems odd to me too because Crispin's this is supposedly Crispin's baby hit this abundant life church there in Dallas and it just seems really odd that you know the police were responding to Somebody holding up in a church, at the library, and they had to break off when they heard they had to suspect in the theater. So take that for what you will. Now we know Fred Crisman was a right-wing supporter. Uh, Later on in his life, in the early 70s, he he had his own talk show in in, uh, Washington State, it was a very right-wing political talk show, and which could, of course, associate him with uh, other extreme right-wingers. that myself and Doug, have fingered in all this, like General Walker, all these anti-Castro Cubans uh, with their extreme ideals and, you know, anti-left stance, anti-Kennedy stance. And Beckham described Chrisman as always being very confident, uh, very knowledgeable, very well dressed, uh, very uh, polite. Uh, until he got upset, and he was—he got very, very—it's like flipping a switch, almost. And we've been searching and searching and searching. For the architect or architects of the assassination, and Thomas Beckham gives it to us on a platter, and people tend to say that oh Beckham is is not credible. Uh, he you know he 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 didn't give Garrison anything, and so uh, you know years later he makes his story up you know to maybe try to make himself famous and, and uh, make money off the story or something like that. But I think it's more uh, Chris Shaw and Ferry are dead by now, and he's given immunity for his testimony, so he opens up. And he just—because it's probably been eaten, his, eaten, eaten on him for years, you know, about his involvement and in people he knows' involvement and has probably been eating at this poor guy for years about what what happened and he's finally given the chance to say it and basically be immune from prosecution for his testimony and i think he takes the opportunity now the question of course becomes is it true well it's hard to say I mean it gives us all the right elements it gives us uh, all the right people involved and sets up a pretty interesting narrative and for Garrison to have had his sights on Chrisman and think he was involved in some way says a lot to me uh, because Garrison really knew what he was talking about and, you know, he investigated things that uh, the Warren Commission never thought of. And, you know, he got us a lot of really interesting testimony. I mean, he, couldn't get it, he couldn't get anything from these two guys. But he laid a bit more of the groundwork in the people that were involved in New Orleans in this thing. And it's very clear to me that Shaw and Chrisman knew each other. We know Shaw knew Ferry, which means they all three knew each other. They knew Oswald, which means they all knew each other. They knew Beckham, which means they all knew each other. And they all knew G. Ray Gill, who worked for Marcello. Now, we know Shaw and Ferry and Chrisman all had ties to the CIA and the intelligence services. Okay. We know that Sean Chrisman were buddies from way back when they served in World War II, and it obviously kept in touch. If if that's the first person that, that that Clay Shaw called was his buddy Fred Chrisman, this substitute teacher in Washington, uh, you know it, it says a lot to me. And to go a step further, now, and I got to credit my buddy Pat. Uh, Beaumier for this. And if I'm mispronouncing your last name, Pat, I apologize. He's got one of them Frenchy names, Pat Beaumier. Baumier, Beaumier. Uh, something like that. But, Pat, you know who you are. And, Pat must be psychic or something because I, I knew I was going to talk about Fred Crispin today. And, Pat sent me a Facebook message today. Uh, speaking exactly of, of of this stuff, and touching on a little bit of what I was going to touch about today, which is which is uh, strange, is how uh, fate works, or maybe Pat's just psychic. Who knows? Um, but he reminded me of, of course, we know D. H. Bird, you know, owned the Texas Schoolbook Depository. And maybe you've heard of his relatives, his cousins, I I think it was his cousins, Uh, Admiral Richard Byrd, and what's the other guy's name? I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, I'm familiar with Admiral Byrd because he's from where I live. You know, we have schools named after him, statues of him in town, and, you know, he's one of our claims to fame, I guess you could say. I mean, I even went to school with a a kid named Bird when I when I was in high school. Who was who was a relative of them, and there was a thing right right after World War II called Operation High Jump, uh, where where they, they sent Admiral, Admiral Bird to Antarctica to see if the some Nazis had escaped there after the war and because there was rumblings that they had had, uh, escaped there either by submarine or UFO and had these secret UFO bases in Antarctica or secret bases and that they were continuing you know to work on things down there and of course we know that part of his operation uh, high jump thing to find was to find uh, these moon rocks that had that it came down, you know, as part of that fell off the moon, and they would come through, and they were easily found down there because, of course, it's a wasteland. It's a it's a snow-covered, ice-covered wasteland, and there is no vegetation, so things like meteors and, and meteorites and uh, things that fall to the earth are easily visible down there and are easily easily obtained and is thought to be a source of the moon rocks that we supposedly brought back from our trip to the moon which i think is fake by the way but uh this is a jfk related podcast so but maybe we'll touch on it in the future of how i think it's fake because um, jfk ties in a little bit because he uh he pretty much stated we were going to have a man on the moon in 10 years. So they kind of had to make it happen by 69. But anyway, like I said, we might visit that in a future podcast. But uh, as it relates to, you know, of course, high jump and these Nazis and uh, the birds, you know, everything kind of ties together in this weird, fringy kind of way. And. Like I said, it's a, it's, a, it's a taboo topic to talk about uh, in the groups and forums. You know, you bring it up, you're immediately labeled a crazy person. And um, But Jim Mars has a, has a good book. It's called Alien Agenda. And it touches on a lot of this stuff uh, and a lot of the people involved in it. And for Fred Christman to be involved in this weird UFO sighting, you know, a little bit before Roswell just seems like a sore thumb and kind of odd to me, you know, that he would be involved in that and then somehow be involved in the Kennedy assassination and be no more than this, you know, innocent substitute teacher. And why would Thomas Beckham pick this guy out of obscurity to to say that he was the head of this organization, you know, that was, uh, you know, behind all this stuff? You know, it seems to me there's got to be some kind, some kind of weight behind it, some kind of kernel of truth in the story. You know, you don't have to buy the whole story, because uh, uh, Chrisman was famous for his uh, his writings. Uh, he claimed to find a hole in Alaska, which is where he was sent when he reenlisted that went into the Middle Earth and then he came across these uh, beings in the Middle Earth and he wrote these fantastic stories and uh, he submitted to these uh, pulp fiction uh, magazines back in the 50s you know, it's real, really weird out there stuff that you know, I don't know if he was writing fiction or if it was personal experiences or what it was supposed to be. But we know he was a a fantastic thinker. The question is, was he a fantastic doer? Was he on the ground in Dealey Plaza? Was he one of the tramps that wasn't photoed? Was he running Thomas Beckham? Was he responsible for these fake churches and these fake bishops? And kind of organizing things. In between Dallas and New Orleans. That's the question. Uh, we know he spent significant time in both places. Um, and and like I said before. Running these churches. And, and setting up the guys that he needed. As these fake pastors and bishops. And uh, priests. Is that. It'll, it It created a network where operatives could go city by city state by state and have a safe haven have a place to go where they could trust had people that were there that they could trust and knew the deal uh, And in these priests and bishops and everything themselves had incredible access to pretty much anything and pretty much freedom to travel wherever they wanted. Uh, you know, this includes foreign countries. This includes uh, you know, going into hospitals to people's deathbeds and uh, you know, have people tell them things that they wouldn't tell anybody else because they trusted them. You know, and it's a pretty damn good idea if you ask me you know, to set up these fake churches all over the place, and it was a good way to also raise money Because as you know, if you've ever been to a church, they've always got that played out and want money. And now, you know, it would appear that some of these fake churches in New Orleans didn't even have any parishioners. They were just, you know, there in name and building alone. Uh, But this church in Dallas was different. It actually had parishioners. It had a priest. And... uh, I'm sure it took in money, and this is just a couple of them. You know, Beckham said that Christmas had these things all over, the, all through the South. So it's, it gives you something to think about. It's another aspect to the assassination. That, like I said, that hasn't been talked about much. It doesn't get much play, but it involves some of the main characters that we know, and it's another piece to the puzzle. That we can hopefully fit together and make some sense out of this thing. And I'm going to post up, again, Thomas Beckham's HSCA testimony. And you can read for yourself what he says about Fred Chrisman. Uh And I, dis- I discovered something today that Thomas Beckham actually wrote a book. It was called Something Remnants. Remnants of Truth, maybe? And I've yet to get my hands on it so if anybody knows of any free pdfs that are out there on the web of this thing uh you know or transcripts or summaries or anything and it, it's spelled awkwardly it's like b-e-c-k apostrophe h-a-m as, as the author thomas beck, beckham uh but yeah that, that's out there too uh, the Torbit document, if you can find it, is a good read. It uh, tells a lot about Chrisman and, uh, and being the, uh, organizing things between uh, Dallas and New Orleans. And then, of course, after assassination, we have Chrisman being implicated in something called as being part of the octopus. And this is some crazy stuff. And I will post a link to the octopus, uh, article up on Facebook as well. And you can read about that. It's, it's, it's craziness and it's, it's crazy because it it deals with like the inslaw case and it, it 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 pervaded for decades and touched a lot of people. And it's crazy because supposedly somebody involved with it uh I can't remember if it was a journalist that was covering the story or not I think it was but anyway he ended up uh supposedly committing suicide in a hotel uh not too far from where I live in uh in West Virginia I live in Virginia but it's close to West Virginia um so yeah I mean it's 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 crazy and it's all, of course, you know, the octopus has tentacles all over the place. And that's what the main gist of this thing is. But I'll post that up and you can read through that. Uh, so if you hear Fred Christmas name again, don't dismiss it. Hear, hear what is said about it. Uh, see what people have to say about Fred Crispin. Like I said, Garrison thought he was involved. And they quite possibly could have known each other. Like I said, Garrison and Bannister were stationed in Washington State at the same time. Clay Shaw was uh, stationed in Washington State at the same time as Bannister and Garrison, and Chrisman was there. So that right there is a what I like to call a crazy connection uh, of these four people, you know, that quite possibly could have been intertwined uh, and had impacts you know of course later on 20 years later when it comes to the Kennedy case and when the UFO stuff gets involved you know but we know Christmas was involved in the Maury Island incident you know we have we have uh, the operation paperclip guys and von Braun surrendering to Clay Shaw okay and You know, all these guys, or Crispin and Shaw were in the service together. And we know the Nazis were developing UFO technology. So it's a crazy, crazy web of stuff to think about. And uh, I lay it in your lap humbly until you think about it. Because, once again, the implications of all this stuff are far-reaching. They are crazy And, of course, some people are going to say, Rob, you're an idiot to believe in any of this UFO nonsense. You know, it's not that I believe in UFOs. I think it relates to the case because the people involved were related to the UFOs. Even JFK was was wondering about UFOs. He supposedly told Marilyn Monroe he'd been to a base, a secret base, and seen alien bodies and crashed UFOs. This is coming from Marilyn's mouth to her friend unprompted okay so it's stuff is not is not out there totally now whether it was alien bodies or whether it was Nazi technology truly uh, you know of course we, we don't know yet uh, it would it would seem to me that it would be Nazi technology uh, because of the bell and we've had sightings of the bell in America of course, after World War II, the the uh, the Nazi uh, flying saucer. We got pictures of that. It was it was really and truly developed. I don't know if it had capabilities, you know, like the U- UFOs we see or people see today. That can go, you know, super fast, disappear, hover silently. You know, move, move move, in any direction, turn on a dime, stuff like that, I don't know. Uh, but, as you know, we sucked up all of the Nazi scientists that were, you know, centered around developing rockets and aerospace technologies and designing UFOs and rockets, and Clay Shaw <laughs> accepted their surrender and, you know, Crispin was there, Clay Shaw, the first person Clay Shaw called was Fred Crispin, which tells you a lot, okay, that means that Crispin would have been a man who knew what to do, who knew what to say, because, uh, he did the same with Thomas Beckham, um, so take it for what you will. Think about it. I'm going to post everything up on Facebook. Thank you to Pat Beaumier for reminding me of the bird and Hop- Operation High Jump and Nazi bases down there, UFOs possibly down there. And look forward to Doug and his excellent podcast, The Dallas Action. I believe he's going to have one coming later tonight or tomorrow. Look for him on Black Op Radio every month or close thereabouts to it. And please keep liking and sharing our podcast everywhere you can. If you enjoy them, other people will too. And they don't have to be JFK buffs, okay? Hopefully they can learn something from this stuff because it's The JFK assassination and the people that did it are still in control of the country today as we speak. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. The control is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And the more people we make aware of this stuff, the better. Um, But yes, and thank you to Adam Webb of the Web of Conspiracy podcast you can find here on Spreaker uh, for, for his generous shout outs to the London Government Podcast uh, two weeks ago. I very much appreciate it. It was very much felt. And if you, if any of my listeners would like to expand their conspiracy knowledge, I highly recommend Adam's show, The Web of Conspiracy. That's web with two Bs. Uh, so please check him out. He's doing good things over there. And his following is growing every day. And me and Doug appreciate everybody that listens and shares and uh, comments interacts you know we, we that's what we're here for uh, we like talking about this stuff and hopefully you'd like to uh, listen and talk too. so any comments about the show hit me up in the comments section send me an email head to the Facebook page it's all streamlined right there on Spreaker for you on my info page Everything is one click away. I couldn't make it easier for you if I tried. Once again, thank you for listening. Check out Doug's podcast, The Dallas Action. Hopefully we'll have some big news here to drop on you. As you heard in the intro, uh, this is the 22 November Network. Uh, This is the voice of the grassroots research community. And you are a part of it, people. Don't ever forget that. Until next time, this son bitch is in the can, beamed to the satellite, down to your ears. This
0: is Rob Clark, out. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt Bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20 volt battery and update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911, US only.